Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you allow us to join with your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in calling you Father. Teach us, O Lord, as your children, to know what it is to truly love you, to know what it is to truly be loved, and help and assist us, O Lord not merely to pray the Lord's Prayer, not merely to confess the Apostles' Creed, but to live by it, to be molded by it, to be shaped by these words, words that you gift us, O Lord, the power of the revelation of your Holy Spirit and the scriptures that we have received. We thank you for all these gifts, O Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we gather now at that time of the year where It's cool one moment, crisp, cold even, and then it slightly warms up. And this in-between stage of the changing of seasons. And on a morning like this morning, you really feel and you can taste Advent in the air. On that eve in which we transition from Trinity Tide, from after Pentecost, (coughs) heading in full headlong into the season of Advent itself. Can you feel it? Can you feel that in the air as we approach the season of anticipation of awaiting in which our king shall return? (coughs) You know, it's in the cool of the air. It's in the change of the season. It's the color of the leaves coming alive. It's that whispering in the wind that, for me at least, I see that change is coming. I'm reminded that even though the leaves are disappearing, even though the change is becoming clear, as autumn will give way to that brutal, bleak midwinter, that there is hope warming up inside each one of us, inside the souls of men, not because we have hope within ourselves, because we have been given hope. We who once were hopeless have been given hope. We who once despised our Lord are loved by our Lord. We who love him, love because he first loved us. We who nail him to a tree, he comes down from and leaps out of the tomb. We who bound him upon that cross, he uses to break the bonds of death to shackle us. And we who forgive each other can only do so because he first forgave us. And so we enter into Matthew chapter 18 in verse 21. And we have a situation, a scenario where Peter asks a question, a question that we all should be asking, a question we probably thought to ourselves before we ever opened up the scriptures and heard this passage for the first time in our lives. How many times should I really forgive somebody? It's a question that we still struggle with to this day. We have guidance quite clear from the scripture. And yet if we're honest with ourselves, we know there's always a line that we draw. We say, Thus far, no further. If they cross that line, that's it. That's the end of it. We put a line within our fleshly hearts in which we say that we can't forgive any further. And this parable that we're given after we hear not only Peter's response, which is generous, by the way, but our own Lord's over and abundant generousness, his grace, we hear this parable that serves as a warning for us who walk in the Christian life. And this all comes from a conversation that had just happened. It wasn't in our reading today, but it was a question that came about in verse 15 in chapter 8. 
in which Christ is teaching, he says, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. Man to man, person to person, between you and him alone. Don't make a public spectacle about it. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Christ bearing witness to the law that he gave in the Old Covenant, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, but if that person still refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, to the body, to the gathering. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Excommunication, excluding from the body. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, for those of us who do the, the daily offices, we hear that echoed in a prayer, the prayer of St. John Chrysostom. Because two or three are gathered together, the Lord will grant our requests that are asked faithfully in the Lord, in the Spirit. And this context has just happened where Jesus has talked about discipline, has talked about how to confront somebody who has wronged you. And so that's why Jesus then comes up to me. Peter then comes up in verse 21. And Peter asks the following, verse 21, Lord, how often will my brother who sinned against me and I forgive him? You've set out the procedure for me on how to handle this properly. But how many times do I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, this is generous. For many, the rabbi says three times and you're out. It's great as an American. We can remember that. Three strikes and you're out. But Peter says, God is perfect. And that perfect number, that number that represents perfection is, is seven. So maybe, Lord, seven times should I forgive my brother. And the Lord says, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven in some translations, it may say seven times seven. Perfection upon perfection. Never ceasing. Always bearing abundantly with grace. And this parable, when we first come to it, we, we may think it's about us. It's a practical exercise in how to live life. And it is to a certain extent. But this parable that Jesus then launches into, this parable of this unforgiving servant, it's not really about us. It's about God's love for us. It's about how much God has forgiven us. Because the wages that we owe, they aren't measured in 10,000 talents, which, by the way, would be billions of dollars. I mean, just simply impossible to pay, especially if you're not a billionaire like this servant is. But that's where we are. Our wages have heaped up so high to heaven. The only thing we have to pay is our lives. It's death. Paul says the wages of sin is death. And yet, the king, just as in this parable we heard just a moment ago, he pays for it on our behalf. He pays and erases, destroys this insurmountable debt that we owe to death. In this parable, if it is about us, and it is, 
It's a warning to us. A warning to remember how gracious our God is. And therefore, walking in love with our neighbor, how gracious we should be. How cautious we should be to take upon the mantle ourselves, to make ourselves God yet again, and declare that we are not going to be forgiven. And declare that we are going to exact the very last penny, or in this case, denarii, from the servant who owes us. And this isn't just about economics. It's not about the monetary aspect of it, although it does have an application in our lives, our church, about those who may owe us something. But it's about forgiveness. It's about grace. It's about not taking our salvation so lightly when Christ promises us not merely to save us, but to transform us in his salvation by and through what he accomplished on the cross, by and through the spirit that he has gifted us. Or as many of us who were raised in the Protestant Reformation would say, that God is not going to justify those whom he is not going to sanctify. There is a unity in the salvation of God and what Christ is doing for us. He poured out his life upon the cross to justify us. And he sanctifies us and tells us and tells his apostles as well, it is good after his resurrection that I leave you. It is good that I go to the Father. It is good that I ascend to heaven. But then I will send you the gift that is from above. I will send you that fire which he wished to set the world aflame upon, that fire of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I encourage you, before you, you take this parable, you take this passage from the gospel, and you make it a do-gooder you know, lesson, and before you make it into be good for goodness sake, examine it more carefully with me. Join with me. Because the call is not merely to receive the forgiveness of God. It's part of it. We must receive the forgiveness of God. The call is also to live and to walk in forgiveness and to give forgiveness to others. Our lives as church should be lives that are full of forgiveness. They should be bearing witness to the one who first forgave us. And if we don't have mercy... If we don't have pity, if we don't have forgiveness like the king in this parable does, or what Paul so eloquently describes in his epistles as faith, hope, love, and the greatest of these is love. If we don't have those virtues, then we have a problem. Now remember, this wicked servant, we learn a little bit about him here in this passage. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, remember this, he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, an unpayable sum. And since he, this servant, could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and his children, all that he had, sold into slavery, and payment will then be made. The servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. Impossible. He's asking for mercy and making a claim of something he cannot do. There's no way he can pay off this great sum. But out of pity, out of pity, in verse 27, for him, the master of the servant releases him, forgives him the entire debt. That is some radical grace. That this king doesn't say, 
I'll give you another chance. Go and do better next time. But that's the grace of the gospel. Our sins, which we can never pay off, we can't make a dent in. God releases us from the sin, frees us from the chains, sets us free from the bondage of death and decay, of sin and mortality, and then gives us a gift. But the gift of forgiveness is also the gift of equipping us to now walk in new life. Because for this man who's had his debt released from him, now he no longer works for this master. Now he's a free man. Now he's no longer bound to paying off this debt. Now he is free. He is now free to do what? He can serve himself or he can serve his king. And here's the warning. He serves himself. Because what do we hear? In verse 28, the same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seizes him. And he begins to choke him. Pay what you owe. It's radical to go from the radical grace to the radical hardness of heart that we see in the servant. And Christians, there are too many of us in the church who are just like this servant. We like to think, yes, with God, I'm in the good. My sins are forgiven. But I will expound the very last penny, or I will hold over this anger of something someone has done to me for so long. I will hold this guilt above them. And even if they don't even know that I feel this way, in my heart, the weights of the scales of justice in my eyes are tilted against them. And the person may not even know that this is how you feel. And yet, in your heart of hearts, if you admit it, you'd say, all I want to do is choke them and say, pay what you owe. You have wronged me. Make it right. You owe me. But that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of God. God has forgiven us so that we may go forth and forgive others and point to the one who forgave us. Why are we so forgiving? Because he has forgiven us so much more than we could ever repay. And that's the only reason why I can even forgive you. I don't even have the right heart or the right mind. Yet he gives me the spirit to go forth and to forgive. And what do the other fellow servants do? They look at this and, and they're shocked. I mean, after all, the servant who is joking the other servant saying, pay what you owe. The servant who owes very little, this denarii, he tells him the exact same words almost that the other servant claimed to the king. Have patience with me. I will pay you. The same words coming out of a different servant's mouth. And yet this servant who was forgiven so much refuses. He puts him in prison, in debtor's prison, that would be, until he's going to pay the very last debt. The fellow servants are astounded, are shocked by this. And they go and they bring word to the master, to the king. And what happens? Verse 32, the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant? Is I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer. And translation may say the torturers, because the jails in these time periods were not good places to be until he should pay all of his debt. And then Jesus ends with a kicker. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. These are hard words. If we're honest with ourselves, they're impossible words to live by. 
The Heavenly Father will do the same if we don't forgive from the heart. But that's the hardest part to forgive. It's far easier, I think, at least in my own experience, of, of being owed something and saying, like, forget about it. Don't worry about it. It's just money, you know? Or doing something for someone. You know, bring in the mill, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll pay you back. I'll do Don't worry about it. It's not something meant to be owed. It's just grace to be given. And I feel that too many people in the church, we, we act this way, we live this way of realizing that I'll externally will say, you know, it's, it's all good. It, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But then in the depths of our hearts, we hold the grudge. We want something out of it. We don't forgive. We certainly don't forget. And the world itself, being hostile to God, is naturally and not seeming to realize that God has forgiven us of our trespasses. That Christ's death upon the cross was sufficient for the sins of the whole world itself. We hear this in the comfortable words. We're about to hear it again. That when Christ died, he died. And his death was sufficient to redeem not only our own sins, but sins of the whole world. And yet the world continues in rebellion. What's happening? It has no faith. It has no trust. It has no submission to Christ. And therefore, it does not have the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. And without the Spirit of God, we simply cannot forgive as He forgives us. The world is going to tell you, and it tells you constantly, look, it's not your fault. It'll lay blame. The way you are is because of society. It's because of institutions failing you. It's because of the government. It's because of the way culture is. It's because it's your genetics. It's the molecules. It's because we're just made of stuff. But in the dark of the night, when we're all alone with our thoughts, even the unbelievers struggle with this because we know something fundamentally, something dreadfully is wrong with us. We all know, we've all experienced great forgiveness at some point in our life and realize, I don't forgive like I should. I don't love, is what we're really saying. I don't love like I should. We don't think the way we should. We don't love the way we should. We certainly don't forgive as Christ is commanding us here today. And that's evidence of this deep rebellion we have against our Creator, of how far our natural flesh, our natural hearts are from God. But there's good news, church. There's good news, sinners. Good news that God Himself, Jesus, became man to destroy that veil of separation between Him and His creation. That God himself absorbed all the sin upon that cursed tree to annihilate sin's grip on his flock. He cracked open death's tomb so that we will raise to new life on the resurrection. And we don't have to wait for the resurrection day for resurrection to begin now. Because he has bound up Satan and he promises to protect his flock for he is a good shepherd. And he defends us and he protects us. And resurrection has already begun today. We celebrate the resurrection today and every Sunday because we have resurrected hearts, new hearts being given into us. So that when Christ departed from this earth, he departed so that he may impart his Holy Ghost upon us. So that we will become life bearers of that gospel proclamation, that heralding that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand is nearer and nearer and is coming. And that true Advent, that true Resurrection Day, it's coming here and now. Can you feel it, O church? Can you see it in the change of the seasons? 
And so therefore we're called to react to the proclamation that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And how we react is crucial. We must repent from our sins. Turn away from our sins. And seek the forgiveness that God is offering to us all. Where St. John tells us in his first epistle, 1 John verse 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that's all we got to do. Confess. I am a sinner, O oh Lord. I am separated from you. If we confess our sins, quote, he is faithful. We're not, but he is. And quote, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so therefore, O oh church, we as Christians, as the body of Jesus himself, the body of Christ, we are called enlivened in his body by the Spirit of God to echo the gospel pronouncement by how we live and by, as Paul tells us, by bearing with one another and forgiving one another. That if anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, Paul tells us, so you also must do. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Colossians 3. That in and of itself from St. Paul is an echo from our Lord. When he's teaching the apostles, the disciples that Lord, how should we pray? And he teaches the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And we're about to pray that prayer just momentarily. And so listen to it. Let it echo in your mind. Because we proclaim and we ask, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let us not forget the words of Matthew 6.15 when our Lord teaches his own apostles that if you do not forgive others of your own trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. I dare say that forgiveness may be the hardness, excuse me, the hardest of all virtues to develop, to cultivate, and to keep. Because it's not something we can do on our own. It requires all of Christ within us, all of the Spirit of God within us, to have such forgiveness. Because old adages of forgive and forget, where time heals all wounds, they're rarely true. At least not for the deep hurts, the deep cuts in life. We almost rather wear the bandages of those hurts and carry it around with us in our hearts than truly to let them mend by the Spirit of God. And in Luke's account of this, in Luke's account of Jesus teaching on the same standard of forgiveness, the following occurs. He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, turn to him seven times. Seven times in the day. Not seven times in even a week. Seven times in the day. Turn to him seven times saying, I repent. You must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, they respond, increase our faith. What an honest response. Increase our faith. Increase our trust in you. Who can do this, O Lord? And the Lord responds, If you had faith like the grain of a mustard, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey me. Forgiveness is hard to come by. 
in the old Adam, in the old heart of flesh, but from the heart of faith, the new heart the Spirit gives us, the Spirit will provide abundance, the forgiveness that can only come from God. All we have to do is ask, Lord, I need you. To pray to the Lord, to approach the throne of grace, God, you know exactly who I am and how I am. And I can't forgive, not on my own. God, forgive for me. As you have forgiven me, give me your heart, O oh Lord, to forgive the one who has wronged me. To open myself up again, to being hurt once again, just as your son was hurt once again by every blow that hit him upon the tree, every blow that hit him on the face, by the crown of thorns, God, give me the love to say with our Lord, forgive them, O oh Lord, for they know not what they do. Church, it's a hard task, but we are not left alone. We are given good news and hope. Hope that comes from the words here in Philippians, the words from St. Paul. When he tells us in Philippians 1, in verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began the good work within you, who gave you your faith, who justified you by the blood of the Lamb, he will bring it to completion, and it will be made all complete and whole. We will be made new creatures completely and fully on the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me in this grace, both in my own imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all in the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's in my prayer, Paul praying over his church. And what is his prayer? That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. Be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ that draws near, O church. For the day of Christ that, quote, will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes not from ourselves, but through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen and amen. And church, that kind of fruit of righteousness, that glorification that we're being called into, that sanctification that's being poured out on us, it has real implications in this life. Because I know there is someone that is in your life and in your heart that you have not forgiven. There is someone that you still hold that debt within yourself. And it would hurt to forgive, and yet God is calling you to forgive. To forgive. And he's calling you to forgive daily. Even on the small task in life. The way we speak to our spouse, to our children, to one another, to our own loved ones and our own friends and family. And in a moment we're going to hear from the exhortation. To for a moment, before you come to this table, hear the words of that exhortation. Remember what our Lord says. If you come to bring your gift to the temple, but you have not forgiven someone, you have not repaid what you owe because you have wronged someone, you're on the other side of it, go, and before you bring your gift to the temple, pay them what they owe. Make things right. Forgive them of what they owe you. Then bring your temple sacrifice. And here in the temple of the body of the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, of rejoicing in God that he has forgiven us.
And so before you dare to come to the Lord's table, don't make this rote. Don't make this just something you do. Confess your sin. Own your own lack of forgiveness. And ask God to graft into your heart that spirit of forgiveness that he has for you. And that comes from the one who has forgiven us first. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast for this week. We're expanding our ministries at Church of the Good Shepherd and expanding our space as well in order to better accommodate our growing church family and also to minister to our children. If you feel led to give, please feel free to text the word SHARE to 1-888-364-GIVE. Or additionally, visit us at www.goodshepherdacna.com and go over to the menu item listed Donate to donate online. We appreciate any help that you can give, and we hope to see you soon. Come visit us on Sundays at 9 a.m. for Bible study and at 10.30 a.m. for Sunday worship. God bless.